study was stated that over the next four decades Christians will remain the largest religious group but Islam will grow faster than any other major religion indeed according to Dr. Daniel Janosik director of Islamic studies at Southern Evangelical Seminary Islam is on the brink of both a physical and an academic implosion how will this implosion occur you're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's episode of Evidence and Answers, we will address the very topic of Islam and learn what the talk about an implosion is all about. Now with part two and the conclusion to this fascinating interview is Pat along with his special guest, Dr. Daniel Janosik of the Southern Evangelical Seminary. Muhammad was not really mentioned by Muslims until 691 AD. Now that is 60 years after Muhammad's death. He died in 632, so about 60 years later, you have the first mention by Muslims themselves. And so it's mentioned on the Dome of the Rock. This is uh, the dome there in Jerusalem that Abdul Malik, the Caliph at that time, had built and also on a coin that was minted in 691 and it had the phrase there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet first time that you had that phrase and you also have that phrase etched in the stone there at the Dome of the Rock so this is the first time that Muhammad is mentioned by the Muslims and so this really gets you thinking about what was going on at that time and some Christian scholars Look at the word Muhammad, and it comes from the name Ahmed. Ahmed means praised or praise, and Muhammad is one who is praised, and that could refer to the praised one at that time who was Jesus Christ. So they're saying that even on the Dome of the Rock, it could be referenced to Jesus as the praised one. Now, the Dome of the Rock also makes very polemical statements against Christianity, or the Trinity, I should say. It says, say not three. There are not three gods. Well, of course, Christians don't believe in three gods. The Trinity for Christians is one god, three persons. And so the aberration that you see written on the the Dome of the Rock is not speaking about true Christianity, but a, a heretical view. But when it mentions Muhammad, could it be that uh, they were mentioning or referring to Jesus as the praised one? Well, of course, most Muslims would not believe that at all. But it does start you thinking, why were they not even called Muslims at that time? Up until, well, 691 on the Dome of the Rock, the term Muslim is used, but it's not used regularly by Muslims until the mid-8th century, 50 years after that time. They were called Mumineen, or believers, or they were called Muhajirun, those who were in uh, immigration, immigrants, but they were not calling themselves Muslims. And that's what is really interesting because it seems to show that there was an intermediate type of uh, religion. It was neither Jewish nor Christian, but it wasn't yet Muslim. And that would bring me to a point of talking about a man named Abdul Malik. Abdul Malik was the caliph from 685 to 705. John of Damascus, the man that I studied, 
worked under him, so I did a lot of study in this period of time, and a fascinating period, and Abdul Malik seemed to have the vision for a new religion. In other words, what I'm saying is that what started before was some type of apocalyptic religion, and if there was a prophet in the early 600s, early 7th century, then it could have been an apocalyptic preacher that Abdul Malik kind of pulled in and made him into a prophet figure. Why? Because Abdul Malik now had control over this vast area. The Arabs had conquered this vast area in the Middle East. He had control over that. They were getting all the tax money. They had to rely on certain leaders, especially tax officials who were Greeks because the whole system was still in Greek. So that's why John of Damascus had a job as a Christian. He inherited the position from his father, who was also a chief financial officer, or Logothetes at that time. So John was right in the midst of all that, and he wrote about it later. So it seems like Abdelmalik realized that he needed a religion because he had a, a now a, a growing government, and all the governments around, all the powers around, had a religion, and they had a prophet, and they had a book. So it could have been that all this happened under Abdelmalik, where he took a an intermediate monotheism that had been forming early on, a rejection of Judaism, a rejection of Trinitarian Christianity, where they were looking at Christ as a, a major figure, a praised one, but not in the same way as a Trinitarian Christian would, because there were a lot of heretics that lived in that area. So Abdelmalik would have taken that in, named a figure for, perhaps from the past, an apocalyptic preacher, a man named Muhammad, pulled him in as the prophet, had his men put together documents from Christian Syriac liturgy, from Jewish Targums, from other stories, and pulled together a document that became the Quran. That's really a picture that is emerging at this time, and it would devastate the whole idea of Islam. Yeah, you know, when you present this to Muslims, I mean, how do they respond to this? Some of them reject it outright and say, no, that's not right. They'll hold to the traditional view because that's all that they know. Others, especially scholars, if you approach it, you know, from a scholarly academic arena, they will start trying to come up with counter positions. But in these conferences where academic papers from the Christian side are being given, and by very reputable scholars, there is a chipping away of this traditional story of Islam. And the scholars are realizing that they've got to scramble because they don't have the answers. And more and more, as it's getting out to the popular level, they're also scrambling. I remember one time when Jay Smith and I were talking about these things at Speaker's Corner in London. There's a place called Speaker's Corner at Hyde Park where you can get up on your ladder and say what you want. You have freedom of speech and what well, Jay's out there every Sunday and there's a, always a crowd of Muslims who, who love to heckle him and give him a hard time. But Jay really has a good audience and a, a strong witness there. Well, he and I were talking about these historical discoveries and they just didn't have the answers. They were instead either quiet or they would try to come up with some kind of uh, other scheme that, like Shabir Ali, that just did not make sense. So they're going to scramble with this, but there are some who are really thinking about it, and 
when they do explore this and start taking up the challenge, they are greatly challenged. The number of those Muslims have converted to Christianity because they realize that Islam does not have the answer. Yes. Christianity does. Yeah, you know, and you folks are out there with this information, so this is not just the intellectual exercise. I mean, this is actually battle-tested, and you're interacting with the Muslim scholars out there. Yes. Another thing that I find, though, is that there is and has been this closing of the Muslim mind. A great book in this area is by uh, Robert Riley called The Closing of the Muslim Mind, How Intellectual Suicide Created the Modern Islamist Crisis. And you, you think about it for a moment, that when a person cannot give a logical answer, there is a greater turmoil inside that just kind of churns away, and it, it may strike out in a violent way. Well, Robert Riley's thesis is that because the Muslims cannot really answer the questions that modernity is raising, there has been more of a kind of a pathway toward the violent end. And so that's one reason that you have all of these different groups developing, because they're struggling to, in an existential way, for real meaning. And of course, they have their own struggles within Islam itself, the Sunnis against the Shias, and so on. But one of the reasons Robert Riley says, is because they have closed their mind for centuries, way back in the time of the philosopher Al-Ghazali in the 12th century, when he said that reason was no good anymore, you just had to rely on revelation. And so because of his influence, and because so many people followed that later on, there was that closing. And so authority became the controlling factor. And so Muslims learn not to question, and that's had its consequences. Yeah, that's part of that intellectual implosion that you yes. are talking about. Yeah, so a very good book, The Closing of the Muslim Mind, will give you a much better idea of how that is working out. Yeah, do you see that for Muslims, that they're beginning to open up and look at this information, or do you see a greater hardness in the Muslim world there towards this kind of information you folks are presenting? I see both. Even here in the States, there are those organizations that don't want to hear that, and they become more and more violent, and that will be a response. Others, and this is where it's great to have just one-on-one -on -one conversations, get to know people, develop relationships. It's so important to develop relationships and build trust, because then you can talk to them about these things, and they'll open up and start asking you questions, and it's the questions that will raise the issues and lead them to the evidence. I think of one person in particular in this way, and it's uh, Nabil Qadeshi. Nabil was a Muslim, grew up in America. His father was, came over from Pakistan and then joined the Navy here. And uh, Nabil Qadeshi went to college and he uh, developed a friendship with a, a man named David Wood. And David was becoming an apologist and took Nabil's questions very seriously and studied to find answers to help Nabil through. And Nabil, through all that, through seeking after the truth, came to the realization that Jesus was Lord and Savior. In fact, he wrote a book that is a very popular book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, A Devout Muslim Encounters Christianity by Nabil Qadeshi. And this is happening over and over and over again. More and more Muslims are encountering Jesus in many ways. Yeah, you're right. You know, we have several interviews with Muslim apologists, Muslim militants, and even Nabil Qureshi we've interviewed on this show, and you could 
go to our okay. website to great. listen to that great interview. Yeah. Well, Daniel, you're also talking about a demographic suicide here. Why is Islam committing what you say is a demographic suicide? Well, it's part of the physical implosion that I feel is coming on Islam. And you see that in the Sunni-Shia struggle, the two groups that never got along for 1,400 years. And there's a whole history of that. And you also see it in the whole idea of the culture of death. What are they living for? What do they have to live for in this life when they are told that they are just slaves of Allah and they have no hope? And so I think that the demographic suicide comes from this lack of hope for the future. You see it in Iran, for example, where, interestingly enough, in 1979 when they had the revolution, there were very few Christians, maybe 500 Christians in Iran. Now there are well over a million Christians, underground churches and, or just house churches. But the reason is that the Muslims there in Iran have lost hope. They, they don't see any future in their own society. So the Iranians who have been Muslims have become secularists. If they haven't become Christians, the Christians have great hope. But the rest of the Iranian people really are, have been so suppressed and Islam is not giving them answers, so they're not having children. They're just living for themselves and trying to get through, or they just see a lack of hope for the future, and so death is a welcome for them. So there's that end of the demographic suicide. In fact, there's a very good book that depicts this very well called How Civilizations Die and Why Islam is Dying Too by David Goldman. And in this book, he shows why... Um, so many of the Muslim cultures have lost hope, and it's basically a culture of death. Islam does not give them hope in this world, and that's why many are willing to carry out suicide bombings, because they're told that they'll have great hope and peace and pleasure in paradise. And so they're living for paradise and hoping that by killing themselves in jihad, they will get a quick entrance into paradise and they'll bypass all these other things that they would have to do because Islam is very much a works-oriented religion. And they can bypass it very quickly by dying in the cause of Allah through jihad and through their own killing of themselves. So demographically, you are seeing that many Muslims do not want to have children. In fact, the more educated the women become, the less inclined they are to have children or to bring children into the world. And so, whereas some are saying, well, Islam is growing faster than any religion, David Goldman takes exception to that and says, no, they are dying. Especially, you see that even in Europe and uh, in places like Iran, back in, in some of the majority Muslim countries as well, they are not having as many children, they don't want to have children, and there is almost a sense of a, a culture of death pervading, uh, prevailing throughout the culture. Now, Daniel, you also talk about a cultural implosion that 7th century Arab culture cannot compete with the allure of modernity. Tell us about that. Explain that one for us. Yeah, that's a good question because you, you wonder why they aren't keeping up with uh, the modern world or why they want to go back to a 7th century lifestyle. Islam is very much tribal tribalistic, and it's almost frozen into that particular format because the Quran is from a tribalistic mindset, and 
in order to become a to be a good Muslim, you have to follow the Quran. So you're going to continue in that same mindset. You can't break out of it because you're not supposed to question the authority of the Quran. So with the Quran, you also have the legal system, which is built upon the the hadith, the sayings of Muhammad, the the practice of Muhammad, and so you have this whole Sharia law that also is based upon a seventh century culture that freezes Muslims in time, in a tribal sense. So culturally, they cannot coexist with modernity. And that's why ISIS and Al-Qaeda have to use force in order to rule, because modernity has already infiltrated so much of the other Islamic culture along the fringes, and for ISIS to get them back to this core of Islamic practice, they have to use force. It cannot compete with modernity, and so there will be this uh, struggle for the soul of Islam. In fact, in one book written by Peter Riddell called uh, Islam in Conflict, he has a end quote at the very end of the book by Professor James Beverly of Tyndall Seminary in Toronto, and Professor Beverly says this, The tensions Islam has been facing for centuries have risen to the surface. Is Islam a religion of peace? Does it believe in human rights? Can it find a way to be a part of the human community without violently insisting on its own way? We hear so many differing accounts of Islam today precisely because Muslims are in the midst of a struggle for the soul of Islam. And it's that struggle between a 7th century mindset, a tribal mindset, and the modern world where they cannot coexist. And that is going to be, I think, the breakdown of the Islamic culture. They cannot compete. You know, despite the growing threat of Islam, there are some exciting developments as well. And you state that there are many Muslims coming to Christ. Why are there so many Muslims turning to Christ? I think this is the most exciting thing of the whole aspect of dealing with Muslims today. Just take this for example. More Muslims converted to faith in Jesus Christ over the past decade than at any other time in human history. Wow. For 1,400 years, there was little ministry to the Muslim world. And yet in the last 10, 20 years, there have been more to convert to Christianity than ever before. Just take Iraq. Thousands have come to Christ through the previous presence of soldiers there. And there are a number of students coming to the, to the States, and some of them are Christians, and other ones are learning more about Christianity, and they're open to Christianity. Afghanistan, there were only 17 Muslim converts to Christianity before 9-11, but now there are more than 10,000. Afghanistan is a very resistant country in many ways. Kazakhstan, there are only three known Christians in 1990, but now there are more than 15,000. Uzbekistan, there were no known Christians before 1990. Now there are more than 30,000. In Iran, as I mentioned, in 1979, at the time of the revolution, there were only 500 Muslim converts to Christ. Now many of those escaped, and many Iranians who did escape as well as Muslims came over to the States, and many of them have become Christians. It's great. It's beautiful what the Lord has been doing. But now there are probably over a million Muslims in Iran. So you have all of this going on. In Sudan, millions have become Christians since 1990, even in the midst of persecution. Even in Egypt, you, some say that over a million have come to Christ. And there's great persecution, and the Coptic Christians are leaving, but there's a tremendous amount of work. 
So you have to ask, why are so many Muslims turning to Christ? Several reasons. One, I think the Spirit of God is on the move, definitely. You have uh, many Muslims having dreams and visions of Christ coming to them, and that leads them to Christ. They get into these uh, churches. They risk their life because they can be killed for changing their religion from Islam to Christianity. But they're willing to do that because Christ gives them the hope that they've been searching for all their lives. So they're encountering the real Jesus of the Gospels and not the Isa of the Quran. So it's very important for Christians to just explain the Christ of the Gospels, to get Muslims to read the Gospels and see that Christ of the Gospels is very different from what they've grown up with. Because many Muslims will say, I know Isa, I love Isa, but it's the Isa of the Quran and not the Jesus of the Bible. So get them to read the Gospels and, and talk to them about that. And I think that many Muslims would come to Christ if it were not for the apostasy laws. So pray that those apostasy laws, which say that if you change from Islam to Christianity or any other religion, you will be killed. Those need to be taken away. And I think that that will just release so many people, so many Muslims, to come, to have the freedom to come to Christ. And it's interesting, too, when you think about it, ISIS may be one of the greatest motivations for people, for Muslims, to turn to Christ. Why? Wow. Why is that? Because they look at ISIS, they look at all those horrendous things that are happening, they say, well, that's not Islam, that's not what I believe. And they they realize, well, wait a minute, that's what the Quran does say. These guys are following exactly what the Quran says, my Quran as a Muslim. And so they say, wait a minute, I can't believe that anymore. I can't do that. And so they start turning away. And so many have become Christians because they don't like what they see in Islam. It's a culture of death. They don't want that death. They want hope. And the only hope that really comes to them is through Jesus Christ. So that's why we need to get that hope out to them, love them, befriend them, talk to them, take time, and explain to them what true Christianity is all about, because true Christianity gives them the hope that they really want deep down inside. Well, you know, that is fantastic. Folks, you've been listening to Dr. Daniel Janosik, the Director of Islamic Studies at Southern Evangelical Seminary. Daniel, if people want more information on this and what you've talked about, where can they go? Well, they can go to uh, ses.edu. That's where I teach, Southern Evangelical Seminary. And we have a center there with the, uh, the certificate studies. So even as a uh, non-degree student, for a very nominal fee, you can take courses in uh, the Islamic studies. I teach a course in Apologetics to Islam, where we go to through these in great detail. A course on History of Islam. We have uh, Keith Small teaching one on the Quran, the sources of Islam, the Hadith as well, and other courses that we're putting together that will help people. And so that's one area that, that will be helpful, ses.edu. Yeah, they can take many of these courses online. So for those of us in Hawaii or in Asia, that allows us to stay where we are and uh, get a hold of these great resources, huh? All of them are online, so yes, they can take it wherever they are in the world, and it's a very good way to, to get acquainted with these ideas and resources. 
Right, at Southern Evangelical Seminary based in Charlotte, North Carolina. A wonderful school for theology and apologetics and Bible. Great faculty there, started by Dr. Norman Geisler and a great, great faculty there. You're going to love going to that website and being able to view and take many of these classes. Well, Dr. Janosik, thanks so much for being on this show. It's been fantastic to hear the information that you're sharing. You're welcome, Pat. It's been good to be with you, and hopefully it's been helpful. And also, uh, one other one was, would be to go to my website, the uh, com. And on the website, I have resources as well and links to Vimeo lectures, so people can listen to all my lectures on Vimeo if they want. Fantastic. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Pat. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. This concludes Pat's interview with Dr. Daniel Janosik of the Southern Evangelical Seminary. If you found this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, click on the Donate button on the side of our homepage. That's evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available for you. Join us again next time on the air or online for more evidence and answers. Oh, 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 oh,